welcome to Unidentified Wargamer. Each week I interview a wargamer and identify them in the hobby. I've got a repeat customer. I've got the brilliant Tom Midgens. How are you going, Tom? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? It's good to have you back on. It's been a little bit since the last world. So I think it was, what, maybe eight months ago since you had you last on here. Uh, so it's good to see your face again and chat about another very successful world. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on again. It was great last time. So uh, yes. we're going to have a <laughs> again. How was the event overall for you then? Uh, yeah, it was fantastic. We we put a lot of work in at the in the preparations in the weeks and months before, and uh, we could tell it really paid off because everything went so smooth. Um, every, the vibe was great. Uh, like all the players, the teams, the coaches, everyone was great. Um, barely any issues amongst players or like technically or, you know. So, uh, like we just chatted a little bit, and I said it was one of the smoothest events I ever ran. Uh, and then that being Worlds is like, I can't ask for anything else. Oh, congratulations on a successful event though. Like one hour in from being a spectator, we, it went flawlessly. Like Rob and his coverage done really well from all the information we got from online, all the smack talk beforehand. <laughs> it was, just seems like the event was like perfect. <laughs> yeah, it went great. Like I think we, the singles round one, there was like a technical issue from Rob's side, but like, it makes sense. They, they'd been setting up the day before until like, maybe over midnight. So um, uh, with barely any like adequate testing uh, being possible. So, um, you know, round one being the um, the um, the first time they actually test their, their equipment, there were some issues. And then from round two onwards, I believe it was flawless. So uh, yeah, it was great. Well, when you're moving, what, two computers plus all the stream gear plus eight cameras and everything else, there's bound yeah. to be some issues. So we all know how hard technology is at sometimes, especially when you're at midnight after a long train ride. It's not going to be easy to try and get something flawless up turn one. Yeah, for sure. Like Actually, he uh, Rob planned to go, come in on Monday so he could start early on Tuesday to build up because um, he's been, he'd been on our, at our team event last September as well, which was a four-man team. So he only had to set up four tables and it took him like three quarters of a day. But what happened on Monday was that uh, he, he took the train to take all the gear because if, if he had to fly with all the gear alone, like that's a nightmare walking through the airport, oh, et cetera. Bet. Yeah. So, um, so it, it, with the train, it's a direct train. So he could just like load everything in and then relax until he got, got there. But um, when the train arrived in uh, Brussels, Belgium, the, uh, they, there was something wrong with the tracks and uh, everyone had to get out. So, and it was still like a two and a half, two to two and a half hour, like travel from there. So like he, he texted me and I was like, fuck, um, oh, sorry. Can I swear on the podcast? I'm not yeah, you can swear. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. good. <laughs> oh, you're Australian. You're fine. No, but, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, I need to go get him. Uh, but he, uh, he, he didn't let me. So in the end, the, the train company paid for the cab. To bring oh, him so to, good. Uh, yeah, while well, they in, in Europe they have to like if you you can't just like oh, okay. have your passenger stranded, so you have to provide either maybe buses or uh, a hotel or whatever. So um, he he split a cab with some other people that also had to go to Amsterdam and then went went on from there. And then I think he was at the hotel like I don't know three a.m. <laughs> grab some grab some sleep and then start the build up. So uh, yeah, that's that must have been brutal. Uh, a very him. stressful start that's for sure yeah yeah so uh, and then like delivering the uh, quality that he ha that he did like hats off that's uh great yeah him and dan done a wonderful job yeah. like, especially what was it five days of straight tournaments yes yes yeah it was five days of uh, of, of, of gaming and uh like dan's like a fantastic 
like talker. So uh, some of the points, of course, Rob has to like listen in, see what's going on, etc., and then can just like keep the flow of the conversation going, which is great. Uh, great sense of humor as well. So uh, oh, and it was great meeting him. I like I've seen him on uh, on shows or in the past, but uh, yeah, it was great to meet him. He's a great guy. There would have been a lovely big international crowd then for you to meet a lot of people you sort of see in and about on yeah. podcasts or shows and whatever else. Yeah, real, for real sure. celebrity meeting point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd seen yeah, all the well, photos you'd taken. That yeah, for sure. Like for example, uh, uh, Canada that made their first appearance uh, at, as in the version of Worlds that it is now. Uh, and so I I had some people that you know saw Jordan walking from Season of War and they're like, hey. That's the guy from Season of War, you know? That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty funny. And you're also a t- tall guy, so you can sort of spot these people out <laughs> in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, or they can spot me. I had, yeah, I, yeah. I, had people, I had people come up to me and say, hey, man, after the event, can we swap jerseys? And I'm like, because we had a ref jerseys on. And I'm like, you want my jersey? <laughs> Why? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, you said last time, you're like, you want all the jerseys. You'll be happy to give away your ref shirts. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I didn't actually think people would want mine because they can swap. With, <laughs> no, they can swap with anyone, right? So why would you want a ref shirt? But uh, yeah, it turned out to be pretty popular because um, I kept uh, one for myself um, at the booth. Like I traded, I, we had six, so I traded five away, uh, and I kept one for myself. And then I came back to the booth, and someone I took it. Oh no! So uh, I, I actually don't have a ref shirt left myself. Oh, that's rough. It's so rough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it's okay. Like I got, uh, I got like five five jerseys back or something from people that um, that uh, we I had a great week with. So um, yeah, great. It's good trade off. I mean, who who wouldn't want to steal a jersey from the famous Tom the TO? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it will. You're, stand you're out, now the so. celebrity in the group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's been amazing. But um, yeah, it was a great week. And how's the wind down been for you since the tournament? Yeah, so uh, I had a couple blisters. My uh, my 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 legs hurt pretty bad the days after. I had a shin split. Like I said, some blisters. Um, my Achilles uh, was was hurting, but now I'm uh, I'm doing good. Uh, it was probably also like the tension of the build up of a couple of weeks, months of prep, finally like leaving your body, right? So uh, so my body now was telling me, hey man, I think uh, you maybe went a little bit too hard. So uh, you need to uh, calm down, but. Yeah, work life started as well. So uh, it just gets you prepared for next year's one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, like this weekend, I plan I deliberately planned almost nothing. So just uh, re- mm-hmm. like relax a little bit. So um, yeah, I'll be fine. Okay, how far out did you start planning your tournament? Well, so planning the tournament from last year's one. So sort of like uh, nine months, six months out was when you sort of really got stuck into it all. Yeah, I think, uh, of course, after we won the bid, uh, I think we found out last July, so about 10 months in advance. Of course, we already had to set up some things with the venue. Uh, you know, what rooms are we going to get? Uh, what spaces do we want to put certain stuff? Uh, but that's small things. I think the real prep started about eight months in advance with, you know, the rules pack. Uh, I started up the AOS FAQ website, of course, which was also in preparation of Worlds. Um, so I think eight months in advance is when we started the prep. And then in, in January, I already had the terrain maps, uh, the finalized rules pack, everything, you know, stuff like that, just so I didn't, wouldn't have to bother focusing on that in the weeks before the event, when all the lists come in, all the questions come in, et cetera. 
And I, I suppose getting that stuff done early means that players know what to expect. They know the base rules where they can spend that six months sort of preparing and working out how they want to tackle lists. Maybe not set lists or set armies, but at least they know the groundwork they can work off of. Yeah, exactly. We also had teams that uh, recreated the terrain maps that we made in TTS so they could practice with it, for example, which was a big part, uh, which was great for me as well because I got two or three points of feedback uh, about it. Like uh, somehow I missed that I had um, a terrain piece too close to an objective in one of the battle plans, but, uh, like legally. And I had two instances where a terrain piece had to be with, between an objective and the um, side of the mat. And it just didn't fit, like like maybe an inch. So like I could swap that around a little bit and send out an updated pack. So that was great for me as well. So making sure the teams are prepped or are able to prep well beforehand makes my job easier as well because they'll get feedback earlier. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't imagine trying to swap something out. You found it a month ahead of the tournament where something doesn't work and you've got to change it. And then everyone's all angry and flustered because things have been changed on them. Like getting ahead of it all is, is a massive boon for like both you and the teams. Yes, exactly. Like teams walk around with like these. Um, um, I, I'm not. I'm not sure what the English word for it is, but you grab a piece of paper and like you uh, wrap it in. Uh, um, in plastic so that it's like so you can write oh, on oh yes yeah yeah you, um, laminate, laminate. Yep. <laughs> that's what i was looking for yeah so stuff like that like they prepped that well in advance so if i then change the terrain maps um, a month beforehand and they have to like refresh all that stuff yeah that's not something you want you said something earlier about you winning the bid i wanted to go back to that was there a bit of contention with you and putting in your bid and sort of getting the results there what, what was the the go behind all of the the bidding and stuff like that just before we set up for the whole tournament yeah, exactly. We, um, I joined Worlds as a normal, uh, quote unquote, ref last year, March, after a couple of the staff left and it was a bit messy. And then the Italian referee, uh, uh, Charlie, had to like, was kind of doing it all alone. Um, so we formed a new team in March, uh, ran Worlds. And I actually didn't plan to bid, but we had a couple uh, teams that had been to our events before. And said, "Hey, man, maybe you should do a bit. Like you have a good venue, uh, you run a good show. I think you've you've now uh, experienced the world, so you know what you're getting into." Um, and first, I was a little bit hesitant because within the Alliance Open team, we're about five, six people, but only me and Jeffrey do the Age of Sigmar side, and Jeffrey is the captain. So I knew uh, <laughs> it's down to you again. <laughs> yes. So uh, so I, I had a talk with the team, and they said, "Look." We can jump in, we can help, we can take some days off and come and you know support you at the event. So I felt confident. Um, Jeffrey then went into um, uh, into some meetings with the, with the venue to get a good price, etc. Uh, and we set up the bid, uh, but like we told ourselves like within the team, we're gonna if we're gonna do this, we want to do this like perfectly all set up, all in, um, or we won't do it at all. So we made a ticket, including lunch, uh, et cetera, uh, budgeted in uh, um, uh, the Honest Wargamer or T-Sports Network in this case, uh, budgeted in flying in some refs, like actual like experienced refs from, from everywhere, uh, and then set out the bid. And I think we had a bid as well from Spain and Austria. Um, and they were like much cheaper. I think they were like six, 700 euros for a team. And we were like 17 or 1800 euros for a team. So like Massive jump. Yeah, triple the cost, basically. Um, so I, I put out the bid. I read the other bits when, when they got released. I'm like, ugh, no chance. 
no <laughs> zero chance. But uh, it turns out that last year in Prague, it was also pretty cheap. And even though it was a great event, um, it turned out to be much more expensive than people thought because the restaurants in the hotel turned out to be closed. Um, the food wasn't the best I've ever had. Uh, I came down for breakfast and the, um, the scrambled eggs was floating a liquid. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, I think like Gay Matt and, and Adam, the check captain, they did a great job, put on a great event, but the, the parts they couldn't control were exactly the parts that uh, a lot of teams were a little bit um, disappointed about. So I think that actually gave us the edge now because the other bits, two bits were much cheaper than ours, which maybe made people realize, you know, if, is this what we want? Or maybe we should try it once, you know, it's a, it's a high price, but it's, it's including lunch, uh, et cetera, et cetera. These guys, they have a good reputation. So let's try it. Uh, and then we out, I think we got 18 out of 24 votes. That's so uh, good. We, yeah, that's massive. So um, I couldn't believe it. Uh, so we got the bid and then, um, yeah, we started to, of course, like I just said, we started to prep with the venue. Uh, I planned in when to make the rules backs. I started approaching referees to make the AOS FAQ that I could use for my events, but also for Worlds. Um, and that's kind of how it all uh, kicked off. And so for people that didn't or like weren't involved with the team side, what do you sort of get for like a, a team when they put in their like their price amount? What does a team sort of get? I know you said you get, they get lunches, but what was the whole package for a team? Yeah, exactly. So um, the venue was, uh, you get, of course, the venue, which was next to the airport. There's a free shuttle bus that goes <laughs> from, yeah, there's a free shuttle bus that goes from the airport to the hotel every 30 minutes or so, I believe. Maybe it's 40. Um, so logistically, it's perfect. You fly in, you take the bus, you're literally at the, at the doorstep of the venue. It was a hotel, so you could sleep in the venue. Uh, roll down for breakfast, uh, one one um, go one stairs up to the venue, and then roll back to your room or the bar if you want to. So it was they they were playing for convenience mostly. Um, then the lunch is it's insane. Like uh, we have sushi, we get fried chicken, uh, we have fried rice with sauté. Much better than floating eggs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, the the lunch, like we called it in our bid, like the best Warhammer lunch you'll ever have. And uh, I think for many, it will be. I, I saw some BrewDog GT in Scotland lunches. They were fantastic as well. But um, yeah, it's it was, was just insane. Like I, uh, I spoke to Jack on day one and I was like, hey, man, you're going to go down for lunch and grab some sushi. And he's like, wait, there's sushi? <laughs> right because that's it's insane so um so that's what they got and then for all days of course um and of course um last year we had 3d printed awards um and you know that's that's great and all but for alliance open we always use glass like actual like trophies so that was also included which are not cheap so um you know all those things combined made for that ticket price um and like i can be completely transparent about this we uh we just uh, put up the costs of everything together, divided it among the teams and the singles players, and that was the team ticket. So we had no like no margin. Uh, we knew the margin would be uh, our shop because uh, we were going to have a local shop and maybe every stuff you sell extra here and there. Um, and maybe if we got more teams than we calculated for, which we did, we calculated for 22 and we got 24. So that left us with a little bit of breathing room. Um, but in the end, we uh, actually decided to uh, 
at the end of the event, we checked what the profit was and we divided that among the staff and the refs. So everyone went home with a little bit of extra oh, awesome. cash. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, because like, for example, we had a 300 euro budget per flight for the refs and uh, Rob's team. But Gareth from the US and Madigan from the US, they had to pay like, I don't know, like $1,200 to get here. So everything above the 300 euros was out of their own pocket. And I like I told them in advance, like, I can get European refs. So if you want to come, I can, this is what I can cover. And, but that is probably it. Uh, but they really wanted to come. So they took nine, like 500 to <laughs> yeah. 800 out of their own pocket to just be there. So, um, yeah, that means I'm not going home with like my pockets full of cash. Exaggerated. <laughs> yeah. We divided that amongst everyone, so um, they uh, they got a little bit of extra because yeah, that's what you do. <laughs> I think that's like the epitome of like a, a a top tier event. Being able to, if you do get a little profit, being able to spread it amongst the people that have also put in a bunch of time and a bunch of effort off of their own backs. Like they don't have to be there; they're volunteering their time. For them not to expect anything, but then get this nice little bit there on the side is so like I'm probably they're probably very thankful for being able to receive that because it changes the whole atmosphere because it makes people sort of willing to go in terms of volunteer their time even though it's not guaranteed. You you get this little bit of like handout there to help you put aside for you a three or four days of you being there as well as being able to be so transparent with the prices and a lot of people were like, oh, it's so expensive. But when you break it all down and people get to see what it costs, it sort of puts it in perspective of what your value you're getting and being able to have that convenience, being able to get a bus straight from the airport's massive. Like I'm sure probably last year or in general trying to get to a tournament, it's so hard to get to. And when you've got eight players plus one or two other people and all your armies, there'd be a mission to try and organize Ubers or cabs and stuff like that. Like just... You're paying for so much convenience there. It's great to sort of see that that sort of planning and setup has been put in as well for a tournament. Yeah, and that's obviously it's it's mostly due to the location of the venue. So uh, we got lucky there mostly. I don't think I would have put in a bid if the venue was like, I don't know, 80 kilometers from the airport. I think, for example, Spain's bid was a great place as well, but I believe it was pretty far from the airport. So I think maybe that deterred a couple teams. They were like, mm, it looks cheap, but then if you have to get like four cabs and then for food, for example, in Prague, um, I, I got flown in, which was great. And then um, the food wasn't that great at the hotel. So you wanted to get somewhere else for food. And then you, that means you had to take two cabs a day or a bus and a cab, or you had to walk like 20 or 30 minutes to get your food. Uh, which then turns a very um, cheap ticket into um, like it doesn't matter like some teams were fine with that because they're like well I'd rather pay less but for me personally I just love having the convenience uh, and I'm in a position to uh, pay for that so uh, that's what I wanted to put in the bid as well and luckily I, I think all of the teams we didn't have any teams that couldn't come because of financial reasons it was a, a big burden on some of the teams obviously because you know some people and countries slash teams communities have less to spend maybe than others um, um but i think yeah that was great so um i don't i think we 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 didn't um deter anyone from coming in the end which was important to me because if i had the feeling that you know two or three teams wouldn't be able to come financially i yeah that would have been a feel bad yeah that's fair enough yeah uh, i think with this the cheaper tournaments your other expenses time like spending that hour having to go out and get your own food for lunch 
well, there's an hour of maybe prep time. Like with the Danish team, you saw how much prep time they put in. Them losing an hour for every single player is a lot of time when you can just go downstairs that one flight of stairs and you're at lunch. Like yeah. it, it changes the whole dynamic because then other people say you have that spare player. They haven't got to try and organize food for everyone or they haven't got to run around and try exactly. and organize other things. It, it changes the whole perspective for a whole tournament. Yeah, for sure. I think like if I if I compare it to, I think they paid like 200 euros per person for teams uh, for three days of gaming, three lunches and all the awards, which is like, I think like 300 uh, Australian dollars or something like that. It's about nearly double. So I think, yeah, whatever it is, it's just double it. <laughs> yeah, something Our like that. Our exchange rate's horrible. Oh yeah, wait, wait, we can check. Let's see, 200. It's uh, 320 Australian dollars. Oh, so you're close then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's what you pay for three days of gaming and three, three lunches and i think if you go to somewhere else and you want three days of entertainment and three lunches you'll be spending way more than that yeah way more than that yeah Yeah. so so in the end it's all relative as well like we i had a discussion in my local community because uh this venue we also use for our own events so like the dutch people are are used to our prices for the events and we had a discussion before and then i just said look go to the festival go to a, a, a theme park Go somewhere else you'll be spending way more um and, and get less so it's it's relative like if you look behind you and in, in your cupboard probably every typical war gamer has like hundreds of like euros of unpainted boxed yeah. up stuff on there They're probably like, still in their shrink wrap as well and there's yeah. 500 bucks of shrink wrap models like <laughs> yeah yeah so like and, and i respect that people might not want to pay a certain amount of money for an event uh but like i think it's a lot of money but it wasn't expensive if i if i explain that correctly because uh i think you got the value back yeah uh, that's and, what you want I, out of a tournament yeah exactly i asked a lot of teams as well like if you go back are you still like thinking about the price now or do you think like and, and then for example bill Sousa said look we were skeptical because it was expensive and Richie as well. He, I think you spoke to him like a couple of weeks yes, ago. Yep. He said, you know, it's expensive, but like walking around, you can see why. Um, so it's okay. And, and you got positive feedback from everyone else about like the whole venue set up and lunches and transport and stuff. Everyone loved the whole design behind your tournament there. Yes. Yeah. I got so much great feedback. Uh, I think I got a lot of people on Twitter messaging me uh, or tweeting like, that it was the best event they ever went to, which is like the best, like obviously. That's what you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Like for example, Bill, I think Bill said the same, like, and he's been running around for a while now. So uh, like if someone like he, uh, like someone like him tells you something like that, you know, it's a massive compliment. So. Yeah, definitely. What sort of learnings did you have from the previous year's worlds to this year's worlds that you were able to apply to sort of up the standard and up the quality of your event? Uh, so last year, uh, I think last year taught me that uh, if I wanted to do a bid, I wanted to do it the way we did it now. So that was a massive uh, lesson. I think we learned that in general. Um, we have multiple tournaments here in the Netherlands. Most of them are just like um, no lunch. Just grab a ticket, you go there, tables are set up, you play, and then you go home. Uh, we wanted to do it a little bit differently. So uh, we learned um, you know what, what works, what doesn't work, and we just applied that to, to this world as well. And uh, last year, um, the questions and the teams and the vibes last year were completely different. So I, I decided to like pull in 
different refs. We also had a couple of refs that uh, decided to to step out. I'm not sure if it was because the vibe last year was different than this year, but that means we had to set up a whole new team. So I wanted to get in people that really know their stuff. Um, so basically what I just learned was that quality is everything. That's I think that's bottom line, uh, what I'm trying to say. Well, it showed on our end, like being able to watch, there was no dramas and no issues, even coming through Twitter and stuff like that. It shows that having the quality and the refs and the organization team makes a change and benefits everyone around, like the viewers, the players, and the organizers. Everyone benefits from having it well organized and well designed. Yes. Yeah. It makes my life easier, the player's life, uh, TSN's life, like everyone's life so much easier. But it is expensive. I've been um, discussing with the team to do a bid for three years, actually. But I, I spoke to a lot of people at the event and I got two, three, three responses. One was fantastic. I would love to come here every year. The second one was from, for example, some of the teams that come from further away, Australia, Canada, US. They said, you know, if we're coming down to Europe, we don't mind going to a different country every year. Uh, we'd rather not skimp on the quality, but, you know, it's also great to like, go sightseeing at different locations. So that makes sense. And then the third response was just uh, for some teams, it might not be financially achievable to go here every year, uh, which is for me, it's a massive um, um, argument to not do a bit for three years. So I might just do a bit for one year just to say, hey man, guys, if like I have everything in place now, I could just copy paste. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to come back, let's do it. And if you don't, you know, that's also fine. Uh, I think that's the issue is like, People want to experience Europe, but you also want another one of the tournaments they just had. It's like, well, let's just move Tom to a different country. He can run <laughs> another one there and we'll be good to go. Yeah, I was speaking to one of the countries that want want to do a bid. And I just said, look, what if you want to collaborate, that's fine. I can, like, we can use the same system. We can use, I, I can get probably my same ref team. I can just tell you what it will cost to fly them in. Uh, I, if you need it, I can even maybe rent a van and we can just, like, bring the terrain, the mats, etc. So... Uh, do a little like a uh, mini uh, frontline gaming uh, setup <laughs> yep. there. So if, if countries need that and they have a great location, you know, why not? We, we can make that work. Um, so that way we can maybe have communities that might normally not be able to do a bit, actually try to organize something. Yeah, especially if the groundwork is there from your side as well as the, like the hotel and the location is good. I could very see because it's Europe, it's so easy to travel around there. You don't have to be flying everywhere. You've got the train or car yep. transport. Uh, being able to just move it from location like two hours or three hours to another city or something like that, I could see that be a big benefit for a lot of the international community that doesn't have the opportunity to go to Europe as like a, a summer holiday or whatever else. Yeah, exactly. So the most important thing then would be, you know, get a good location with uh, enough space uh, good tables and chairs. Um, and then if we can bring the terrain and the mats and the refs, and, you know, it's probably the same event as we had in Amsterdam, uh, but then somewhere else. Yeah. Hope, hopefully. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's all like the background work for the tournament. Do you want to sort of give us like a, a run through of information for people that weren't involved at the tournament so they can sort of get a, an oversight of how going to an international tournament sort of looks like from the outside, so the inside, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think we have to make uh, a little distinction that, of course, going to a random international event is probably different from actually going to Worlds because uh, we only have international players. So we are completely geared towards 
providing information as easy as possible. So, but if you go to, for example, a random event in a different country with also a lot of nationalities, it might not be the same. Uh, for example, we had the AOS World's website, uh, which had the rules pack, the terrain pack, etc. So it was easily accessible for everyone. Um, so I think things like that really help us provide the players with all the information. We we did regular emails uh, updating about stuff. Uh, we, had, we have a captain's Discord for teams, so all the teams have their captain in one Discord channel, and then we can easily make announcements or you know uh, share documents, etc., that they need. So if you're a new player going to an international event like Worlds, you'll you'll be able to find almost everything you need on the AOS Worlds website, um, and then we're pretty easily accessible by email. We have AOS FAQ for questions you might have. You can send in questions through on the AOS FAQ website with a form. So um, that it might not be a good like uh, comparison to different tournaments because this was it's just so many people that really want this to do well that uh, it's made information accessible and um, um, there's a lot of people with a lot of passion working on this. So um, yeah, if you're new, you know you. You can you can get a ticket from the organizer that that has won the bid for that year, and then AOSWorlds.com will probably have all the information you need. A um, couple things are I'm reliant on as well. This year I was the TO and the ref, so um, I knew what terrain I was getting. For example, um, yeah, if it's let's say I don't know uh, um, Poland does a bid, I don't know, and I have no idea what terrain we're going to see. It it can still be good terrain, but I don't know. So I have to make terrain maps and and provide uh, rulings, etc., on terrain I might not have seen before, or terrain that I might assume looks like X but turns out to be Y. So um, you know that makes my the, the work a little bit more difficult. Uh, last year we had Game Mat sponsoring the event, so we had uh, he just made three tables, 27 times, uh, <laughs> which yeah. which made my life easy as well. Uh, so those are all factors that you know will will vary year to year, but I think. AWS Worlds has done, a, we can still improve, but I've already done a great job in making it uh, accessible for everyone to, uh, how, how, you know, how to grab a ticket, rules pack, uh, terrain maps, etc. cetera. Uh, it's easily accessible. It makes it easy for players trying to prepare for even the singles event. Because I know, I believe, I can't remember his name, but the same guy won it twice in a row, hasn't he? For yeah, you're the singles? in. Yep, yeah. you're in. Okay. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a hard field, but being able to take out a tournament like that twice where you've got the best of the best international players from around, being able to take that out twice is massive. Yes, yes. He's a great player. And um, um, like, for example, he's the type of player that you barely, as me as a TO or a ref, um, I barely have to step in or anything. Uh, he just he, he plays five, five or six, whatever format he's playing, very clean games. And uh, yeah, he took out the event again. So, and I think Ronya got second uh, for the second time in the, uh, in a row. <laughs> Another as well. five and zero. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, that's amazing. She did lose her uh, winning streak though because she lost uh, to the Danes, I believe. So uh, yeah, that was sad to hear. <laughs> well, she was twenty and zero oh coming up to that last yeah. two games. We're all we're all cheering for the twenty two and zero, oh, but it wasn't to be, unfortunately. <laughs> no, no, no. So uh, <laughs> yeah. But then if you lose to anyone, it better be the Danes because they play a clean yep. game as well. So, Well, the fact that they took out the tournament as well is a big thing. Like, you, you can't be miffed about losing a game there. No, 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 for sure. I think uh, I, I said it during the award ceremony as well. They beat uh, France, England, uh, Sweden, 
Belgium. It took out like, all the heavy hitters. They, they if, destroyed if they, if the they competition. Didn't take, yeah, if yeah. they didn't take out the event, like this was probably the most um, deserved winner we will have in a long time. Uh, because they did fantastic, they did it with some off-meta picks. Uh, they played clean, the cleanest Warhammer at the event. Um, I think you know Rune, their captain, is extremely intelligent and and passionate. So um, yeah, I, I kind of called it as well. I'm not sure if we yeah. spoke about it in the previous podcast as well, but I said you know Denmark, watch out for them. Uh, so uh, yeah, they were in at my event in September as well, and they didn't win that one, but I I could see from the the army picks they made, etc., that uh, they were trying to really uh, counter the, the, the status quo. So challenge the status quo, and uh, they did so successfully. So that's great. And then if you want more information as well, Rune put up a, a great sort of yes. blog on Twitter of why he took his army and some of the feelings and thoughts behind the whole team. Um, he put up a great little article there. And then Thanks to you, I got the scoop on the winning team as well with interviewing Rune like two <laughs> <Yeah>. weeks earlier. <laughs> yeah, correct. That's right. Yeah, we missed about yeah. that. Like, hey, man, maybe you should get him on. Yeah, yeah that's uh, – yeah. Well, you, that you picked great. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you need, hey, if you need more picks, I can help you out. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I he, need next year's one now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did a fantastic job, like um, yeah. <laughs> uh, managing the team and um, also in general, like I said, the, the vibe. Everyone loves to play against the Danish – we, I think we had to go to the table maybe twice or something, like in the whole event. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's a great team to uh, to ref to referee as well. So, and how many refs did you have running around the tables? Yeah, so for singles we were supposed to have uh, five, but Jeffrey, who was playing in a teams event but not in the singles, who was normally my co-to, he uh, got sick actually that week. Oh, so we were like, rough. we were really scared that he wouldn't be able to play on Friday. Um. So we had five for team for or four for singles in the in the end, and then we had five refs for teams because uh, Michael, the the Belgian ref, he arrived on uh, Thursday night just for the teams, uh, and he also ran the painting competition. So, uh, oh yeah, that's another re- winner you already interviewed because that was one by Richie. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I've got all the winners on here. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, or maybe it's uh, the other way around. We like when once you go on here. Yes. Yeah. When are you taking out a tournament? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. uh, Yeah. So. um, Five refs, which was which is plenty because especially this year, like I said, five was great, barely any issues. So uh, we had like many situations where we were just like walking around, like okay, well, I haven't like had a single question for like thirty minutes now. So uh, yeah, it was great. And so they're all from different parts of Europe and the world. Like you said, you had um, Gareth from America come over as well. Yeah, yeah. I um, last year we had mostly uh, we had two or three Czech refs, and then me, an Italian, and a French, uh, and a Belgium, uh, which were way too many to begin with. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that you know we get refs from all over. So this year we had me then, and then two from the U.S. But you know Gareth originally from Wales, but um, uh, Madigan also from from the U.S. from New York, and uh, um, Charlie from Italy. And then one Belgium ref and and myself, so five uh, different or four different nationalities. Five if you count Gareth, you know, being actually <laughs> Welsh. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think that's important because um, uh, it's mostly handy because you also have different languages walking around in the ref team. So Michael, for example, he speaks uh, a little French uh, because he's from Belgium. 
Um, and then, you know, I don't know what the Welsh speak, but maybe Gareth can, uh, <laughs> <laughs> can I, I think it's English, but it's about yeah. to tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's important to have uh, at an international event. You need international people as well, mm-hmm. like refs. And then just to preface it, everyone speaks English at the tournament. Um, yeah. Just for clarity and clarification's sake in terms of rules and speaking between team, mem- team members and stuff like that, you're not allowed to speak non-English. Is that correct? Just for yeah, whatever yeah, else's sake. When yeah. you have a, if you have a timeout with your, like an official timeout, you're, you're okay to speak in your native language because uh, we want to make sure that players can uh, communicate clearly uh, and it won't take a lot of time to like try because not not every they all speak english but not everyone is uh fluent in it um so there are a couple of countries who had like maybe one player or maybe two players that weren't that uh great in english but you know most of the during gaming most of its gaming terms uh and then they could communicate pretty clearly during the games but then if they if they had to like discuss intricate situations with their coach in english that would have been an issue so uh so you had to speak english unless you were and an official timeout, which is in your own time anyway, so on your clock. So. Okay. And so the, how did the timeouts work? Because a lot of the times when we're watching games, we'd see both like the player and the and the coach and stuff have a timeout. How does that work for the game? Yeah. So during the game, every player can ask for one timeout with their coach. Uh, normally, a coach can communicate with players, but not about the game state. So they can say, look, uh, we lost... Uh, four games, we really need this win. We need a 20-0, we need a 17-3, whatever. They can like communicate about that uh, or, and tell them how it's going on different tables, but they cannot communicate on the state of the board. So they can't say, hey, man, don't forget the plus one to wound spell or don't forget to uh, uh, grab that objective or I don't know, what stuff like that. Uh, unless they're in a timeout, which is in their in your own player's time. Uh, if, if let's say we're playing a game, uh, you and me, and I call a timeout, you're also allowed to grab your coach um uh, and then as long as we're having a timeout you can also speak to your coach about the game state um and every every player on both teams can do that um so like in the in some situations you'd have eight timeouts in a round um which actually are 16 because the other player can also grab their coach so um and then they can just discuss like hey uh you know this army pretty well or you know how are the tables looking should i go all in here do we do we need a 20-0 or can i play conservatively and just grab you know and they can discuss the game state a little bit more and that's kind of what the timeouts are for um and then after when when the time is up, uh, it's on your own clock, so you can you can uh, go, just go back to, get, to gaming again. Uh, and then if the other player wants a timeout, it's it switches to their clock. Okay, that's very interesting because uh, obviously in singles and most teams tournaments, you don't get the ability to have someone over your shoulder, no, getting to speak to someone about game states and things like that. Like not, so not legally, no, there. no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, no, no I, th- I think it's an important distinction. If you're playing eight games as a team and you have no idea what's going on at the other tables or what's needed from you, um, and you're getting paired into like random armies, I think having a, a, a per point in the game to discuss with your coach, like, hey, I can make, I can go left or right here. I can either, you know, go for it. Uh, or I can play conservatively and I will lose, but it will only be, let's say, a 12-8. Uh, you know, having being able to discuss that is is tactically it it adds a lot to the event. 
It does, yeah. It adds that extra little layer where you can apply a bit of tactics and a bit of thinking of when you want to use that timeout. So it's just the one timeout per player turn. Is there a limit yep. on the amount of time you like to use? Uh, I have to, I'm not sure if it's three or five minutes. If you take a timeout, it will cost you three or five minutes regardless. So you need, you will always take the full timeout reg- uh, anyway. Um, and then and there's then no, it's... you're not allowed to move any models while you're doing a timeout, I'm guessing? No, no, no. It's just discussing. Like what what happens in in like what practically happens is both players take a step back with their coach, and you know they start like whispering uh, to like, "Hey, man, uh, this is this, this. Should I go left? Should I do this? Uh, do you think this can kill that, etc." And then uh, you know when they're done, they'll just continue playing again. No, no models can be touched. You can measure stuff, of course, um, if you need to, but um, you can't like change the game state at all. Okay, it's a very interesting sort of thing to think about when you're playing in an event like that, being able to use that proficiently is probably a big saver in terms of for the team and having a coach that proficient in knowing how to read game states and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, for example, Tom Maudsley, the the England, England coach, I, th- I think they, they didn't do as well this year as they wanted to, but in general, like the, the amount of prep he work, he puts in and the pairing process, he, he um, like he masters the pairing process so well um so a, a good coach can can definitely make a difference uh, and then you spoke about pairings there how does the pairings work for a team's tournament uh, it depends of course on the amount of players you have but for worlds it's eight players and uh, what generally happens is uh, this year the captains voted on playing uh, four missions for different battle plans per round <laughs> a bit of contention uh, there though <laughs> yes, <laughs> we can, we yes. can speak about that later on <laughs> yeah 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 and um so the first two they're divided in like the first two pairings are battle plan A, the uh, pairing three and four are battle plan B, then uh, five and six are battle plan C and seven or eight or D. So what happens is um, both teams can put down a defending army. So that army will play on that battle plan for sure. So that's table one and two. And um, then the attacking or the other team can put down two attackers. Uh, so two challengers, so to, so to speak, um, which, the defender can then pick from. So let's say you put down Lumineth as a defender somewhere, and I think, okay, um, I think my Beast of Chaos can do well against that, and I think my, um, I don't know, my six stone horns are going to do great against that. So you put those two down as attackers, and then the, the other teams are going to think, okay, are we going to pick Beast of Chaos, which probably means Lumineth will lose, but it also means um, our Caradon Overlords player further down the road, won't be able to face them. So it's a tactical game you play. What sometimes also happens is uh, player teams will put down a great and a, and a terrible matchup as attackers, and then they just uh, tell them, okay, you can you can pick the great matchup here, but it means we will have a great matchup there. So it kind of nullifies your, uh, your scoring player. Let's say their best player, who is supposed to get a 20-0, We'll face a good a good army for him, so he can get, grab the twenty o. But you can like nullify the twenty o by having a great matchup elsewhere. Uh, so it's the tactical game going on back and forth. So the attacker that doesn't get picked goes back to your hand, and then you continue until all the cards are put down, basically. And there's a lot of thought and process from the teams going into that. Like that's can be a winning or a losing tactic depending on how you go about it, or it can lose you the whole the yes. whole round, or it can win you the whole round. Yes, was there, sure. was there a limited amount of players when you're doing the pairings or what happens there? So the, the process itself is officially the, the captain and the coach, for example. And they, and if they don't have 
uh, and they can like um, appoint an extra player to help with the with the pairing. So it's mostly it's maximum three. Um, and uh, this year we made the pairing mats as a goodie for all the teams with like their flag imprinted on it. So oh, that's uh, they cool. could so they could put it side by side and then have the eight pairings in a row, uh, which makes some uh, some good uh, pictures like. Uh, Three, uh, two teams of three sitting across with like the mats in between, and they're like vigorously yep. <laughs> looking at a laptop, and uh, so that's that's pretty fun. And I, I like that uh, part of the game. It's it's a tactical way to get a heads up on your opponent. And I think many of the teams last year figured out that if you don't uh, prepare your pairing matrix well, you can have great players and great armies, but they're going to face terrible matchups. And then all the prep and all the games they've played, practicing their army, they're for nothing. Mm, yeah. It can make or break a game if you pair yeah. incorrectly. Yes, for sure. Yes, especially because all the games, like, we barely saw any caps this year. So yeah, it was crazy. For people who don't know, um, you're playing eight games, uh, which can all go 20-0 in either favor. Um, so there, it's a, there are 160 points to divide between two teams, but we capped the total of points you can earn in a round on 120 to 40. So uh, because let's say you're paired round one against maybe one of the newcomers or a team that's generally not seen as one of the best teams, and you kept them with 160 somehow, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up, uh, even though it was just luck that you got paired into them. Um, so. We kept it at 120, but there barely were any 120s. So all the games were pretty close, which means if you fluke one or two pairings in a round, that's that's your round lost. Well, we did see with the uh, the lovely choice of battle plans. So all the captains voted to use all the battle plans in the current GHB. Is that correct? Yeah, I gave last year. We had a lot of complaints saying, look, four battle plans per round. We're playing Age of Pairings, not Age of Sigmar. Um, and uh, we feel that we shouldn't be playing the terrible battle plans. So I listened and I told them, okay, well, it doesn't make my job as a ref easier or harder. So I'll just give you a couple of options and then you can just vote and you know whatever you guys want, we'll do that. So I gave them the option to play only six battle plans. So an entire battle plan every round for all eight players, or uh, I think a two-two split. So for the first four tables, we'll play battle, round, uh, uh, battle plan A and the second four tables battle plan B. So you have two battle plans per round, uh, or we just go back to what we did last year. Uh, <laughs> and then I was like, they won't vote for that. And then in the end, we got like 16 out of 24. They were like, oh yeah, no, we wanted the same as last year. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Uh, and I did literally said it in the Discord, like, sure, but I don't want to hear anyone complain, like any captain <laughs> can complain about this because like, you did this to yourself, uh, which was funny because during the tournament, a lot of players came up to me and they're like, who the hell voted for uh, Twist and Turns and Lurkers Below? And I said, uh, your own captain did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the result of the uh, the lovely game of twists and turns where objectives turn on and off randomly, yeah. I believe England lost a round because their objectives didn't turn on, allowing them to score enough points, and they lost that whole round. Yeah, Jack uh, had a – his game was uh, – he didn't have an active objective the first three turns at all. <laughs> so, uh, But the best part is uh, Tom Guan playing – I think it was against England, but I'm not sure. Uh, he got table turn, I think, start of turn three. That's what, yes, uh, turn three, yes, yeah. But all, but none of the objectives t uh, turned on again for the rest of the game, so he still won. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which and is only happens when it, it's pretty much like the old um, Star Strike or um, yeah, 
relocating or, or yes. there's a random battle plan so you can't really determine what's going on so if you want to have a read of it and and go over it all and see why it's not a very competitive battle plan have at it exactly <laughs> be severely I, confused why this was at a tournament <laughs> yeah like same i think the same for lurkers below although for lurkers you can say that it's interesting pairing into it uh it great creates a fun pairing uh strategy because um if you fluke those it's 40 you know you're 40 down already so that's interesting but twisted turns is just you can play a fantastic game and still lose because something out of your control um so yeah i i love i like i play twist and turn sometimes like just like in uh, home games casual and, games like, and it, <laughs> casual yeah, games, not totally games <laughs> yeah then it's a pretty fun uh battle plan but like it just shouldn't be in a tournament and uh you know when the ghb drops uh i'll just give the teams the same option again look these are the missions <laughs> what See, do we want to do last time <laughs> yeah so and then in the end like i said it doesn't make my life easier or 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 harder so for me it doesn't matter but uh you know, it, it, let's just say it gave uh, some spice to talk about during the event. So, yeah, it gives uh, a lot of content to talk about, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. And then what was the environment like? There was a match between two Beasts of Chaos players where <laughs> I'm not sure a lot of people might have seen a meme from, I don't know, I think 10, 15 years ago where a guy deployed his whole tower army on the board, not allowing the other person to put any units on. Um, there was the same occasion in a Beast of Chaos versus Beast of Chaos match where one player put all the units across the whole board because they both sort of null deployed and one blocked out the other. How was the environment at the tournament after everyone sort of had heard that that had happened? Yeah, so it wasn't happening next to the TO table, actually. It was uh, Netherlands versus Spain. Round two, I believe, I think it was. Might, might not be... Sh might not. Yeah, I think it was round two. I'm not sure. But... Um, uh, and I was looking to my uh, to my right, and um, I think one someone notified me like, like hey, uh, it looks like uh, someone is trying to like block off an entire beast of chaos army. And I walked over to the table, and I like I made the picture with uh, I was the one making the picture where you see the Spanish guy like oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the perfect so I, pose. <laughs> I made and of course picture. it was Spain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I sent it to I don't know who I sent it. Maybe I sent it to Rob. I'm like hey, uh, something happening in the room like on this table. So blah 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 blah. And then like. 10 minutes later it was on twitter it was everywhere <laughs> um like the the player had an option like either the, the i think he had more drops so the guy okay. that, that was zoned out he had more drops so he already knew either he had to drop everything and then because it was 90 ungo raiders there he was just going to get shot off because he couldn't hide like he could he would deploy the Unger, the spanish guy would take first turn shoot like 70% of his army off and then drop down turn two and just like beat the rest. Um, or he, he had to null deploy and then try to see if he could create angles to go in. So in the end, he, he decided to null deploy. Uh, maybe there were hybrid versions possible, but of course, like I don't, I just walked when I, I walked into the game like 20 minutes in. Uh, seeing the Spanish player like vigorously put down and measure all the models, <laughs> nine inch bubbles, triangles here and there. Um, but in the end, I think he, he was still able to get on the board uh, to play his game, but it was also twist and turns. So all the, all the objectives were in the center <laughs> and he had to, he came down in like one of the corners that did not have an objective. So before he was on the like objectives, it was already like over it. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, we had, a everyone at the tournament had a great laugh about that one. Cause that was amazing. Uh, and I, I kind of felt bad, uh, Ivar, the Dutch player, he, like it made him like, look, maybe a little bit like a fool, but he didn't really have another option. It was either, 
you know, try to pull units away or more to wound them off to create an uh, angle to go in or deploy and then hopefully not get shot off completely by turn two. Uh, so it was making the best out of a terrible situation. <laughs> yeah. In the end, it, it just shouldn't have been paired into that. Uh, yeah. because it was just a direct counter for his list, uh, I think. Maybe he was thrown under the bus for a different matchup, but uh, I think they ended up losing the round, the, the Dutch. So uh, uh, that bus was for <laughs> it nothing. It laid into the meme even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, But like, yeah, everyone had a great laugh about that, and uh, people were checking in. Like, you could see players that picked it up from Twitter who would, like, walk over to the table because it was, like, on the window side, so it was pretty excluded. They were, like, peeking in, like, oh, what's it looking like now? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it. That was funny uh, to happen. Uh, obviously, with the meme from I don't know 40k etc from like many years ago, it was like, you know, can you tell me the differences between these two pictures? It's the same picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so good. Was there any other cool stories that came out of the whole weekend? Uh, let me think. Because uh, I'm not. Yes, but I'm not sure if I can like grab them from the top of my head. Because I know there was the corn candle. Where one of the corn players would light the candle every time he done his um, prayers, and we yes, like yeah, wafted yeah. over the table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the refs, Madigan, she came up to me. Is like someone brought a candle, and I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, it's a corn player, and it's like a GW corn candle. And every time he he prays, he starts praying. He lights the candle and prays the corn. Like, oh, that's pretty funny. So yeah, that was that was that was a thing. And uh, what I liked best about the tournament wasn't really something like that, but it was uh, it was Miladin, which is the French um, um, Michael, the French player with um, like the curly long hair. Um, he might have a, a North African background. Um, probably seen his picture somewhere, but he was playing in the singles last round, uh, playing for uh, possibly a, a tournament win and at least a podium. And he was playing uh, against uh, Vladislav, a Russian, I think Russian, maybe, um, singles player as well, playing Korn. And they were playing on the clock and the Russian guy timed out. But um, oh, yep. Michael said, you know, this is the get best game of Warhammer I've ever seen or played. I like... Just grab my time. I want to finish this game because I want to learn from this game. Um, and then he ended up losing because he gave the other the corn player his time. And that for me was, I think, maybe like the epitome of what you want at a competitive tournament. Someone putting the um, um, competitive, competitiveness aside for a moment because the game is so good, you don't want to end it like this. Uh, and it ended up making Vladislav, I think, go in third and uh, Michael drop down uh, to a non-podium spot. So, uh, oh, yeah, okay. that made yeah. it amazing for me. Yeah, <laughs> that's sportsmanship right there. Yes, yeah, for sure. And it was he was right. Like that game, we, we, I was watching a couple of times, I walked over and it was a fantastic game. So, uh, yeah, that's something that uh, I don't think I'll uh, I'll forget. You know, having uh, having hearing him say because I walked him like, hey, uh, I don't know if you know this, but your opponent clocked out, uh, and he said, yeah, 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 we know, but this game is so good, like, f the clock, <laughs> we want to we want to finish this game. So uh, yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing to hear. Yeah, and was every game? Did every game have a, a clock on it? A, a chess clock? No, no. It, for teams, yes. For teams, it's mandatory. Okay. For singles, we only made it mandatory for the top eight on day two. So okay. uh, basically, I think there's a brilliant way to do the clocks for singles. Yeah, I think uh, obviously 
I kind of figured that most of the players that would be in top eight were going to be the world's players anyway. So they were all probably already playing with a clock, but I just wanted to make sure we don't have to like settle a game for the final of AOS World Singles because one player thinks his opponent took way more time than him. They're only in battle round three. Uh, you know, how are you going to resolve that? It, that will never end in a, a satisfactory way for either player so having the clock there is just massive yes and i, I did hear one player did time out a few times because he plays quite a haughty long army as well so like, uh, it sort of shows we had multiple Was people that... time out okay. uh, during the event because it happens um when you play with a clock most of the situations though were because people started putting down the terrain and deploy and then uh, started to clock which means the round had already started for like 10 minutes and then they start the clock, oh, okay. which is 10 minutes short at that point. So uh, then the round suddenly ends. Uh, one player has, I don't know, five minutes on his clock. The other has 15 minutes on his clock. And he's like, wait, my opponent had 10 more minutes than me. Uh, I should be able to like finish my turn. And I said, look, you guys started your clock too late. You should have been paying attention. You know, that's not yeah. a, <laughs> a, a good thing to resolve. So um we had that a couple times. Uh, a learning point for me, for example, was the stream was in a separate room so that the audio would be like audible for Rob and his team. Uh, you don't have the entire room of audio going into the mics, uh, which meant that they couldn't see the big venue clock. So we walked around and notified them when an hour was over, but they couldn't have they couldn't see when we started the clock so that they had started the clock and Rob does, you know, this speech of like, Hey, you're playing on stream. This is how it works, blah, blah, blah. So that was a learning point for me. So most of the people that played on the stream, I gave a couple extra minutes because they couldn't have seen the time it already started. Okay. That makes Which, sense. Yeah. yeah. So for me, that's a learning point. Maybe put like a monitor there or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah. Is, is there anything else you can learn with the, the clocks in terms of trying to get players to use them correctly at the start? Um, or is that more I've, just players just not paying it, attention really not much well you can do. for for singles like i said it was only top eight which was only the three mm -hmm. tables because that was four tables so that's why yeah, okay. that makes sense. Uh, yep. yeah and then for teams it's mandatory and it's four hour rounds so in teams i was i was ruthless to be honest because okay. if you can't finish uh, like the pairing takes 20 30 minutes so you have three and a half hours to play your game if you can if you didn't finish your game or start at your clock too late, even if even though you have three and a half hours, I just got, I just cut the game off because that's that's you know, the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, but, uh, we once to, you're we lenient in one spot, then people expect leniency everywhere else, and then it just snowballs. Yeah, exactly. And the clocks were supposed to be set, I think, for one minute forty. So they probably most of the games had more time than that. So if you then still don't make the round timer, um, you you probably took like. 25 minutes to put some terrain down and deploy <laughs> yeah. um, and then yeah that, that's on you continuity of the tournament like i can't just have every round like drag on yeah it'd just be detrimental to the whole game yeah was there anything else you found that any issues were that you can improve on for next time or oh, to pass sure. along for other players or other tos looking to put bids in um poo. for other tiers it's difficult because of course for example our uh, pack our tickets included a lot of things like lunch etc so that mm -hmm. those are all things i didn't have to worry about my players um you know being back on time for lunch etc because it was all arranged um by the by the venue um things we learned is some things could even be 
communicated a lot better, uh, something in the chess clock rules. We didn't put in that if, let's say we're playing a game, it was my turn, I count up all my points, and then we're supposed to do a roll-off. So what happened, players ended up pausing the clock for the roll-off, while you're supposed to just do it on the active, like the guy who just had his turn, he rolls his dice and then just snaps the clock to the other guy to roll his, uh, or, or girl, to roll the uh, priority roll. Uh, which something that wasn't clear, for example. So things like that we will put into the chess clock rules. Um, um, yeah, so it was like the tiny things that we found out multiple people misunderstood. Okay, we have to put this in the pack more clearly or in the chess clock rules or in the FAQ or, you know, whatever. And uh, another thing I learned is I need to be... Um, we need to be maybe more clear about an FAQ cutoff. Because we had two situations where a team assumed the rule works like X and we ruled it as Y uh, after convening with uh, GW on it. And uh, it kind of messed up their game plan. But, you know, in the end, they decided to ask a question after the rules cut off and after list submission. So yeah, okay. that's huge. Yeah. So it, the problem was they, they assumed the rule works a certain way because they played like that locally. Um, we all read it a different way. We checked with uh, the rules team that we're in close contact with from Games Workshop. They agreed that we saw it the way, like the way we saw it, it was how it was intended to work. So we we relayed that, and then it messed up their uh, army list for this this specific situation, which was unfortunate. But like, if I then have them change anything i create a precedent like for all the other teams like i i yeah. can't have you have you noticed in any of the games where players play rules com like not completely but slightly different to other countries and don't really realize that that is a difference yes for sure uh, for example we had uh, a player that um locally play they have the you have the lumineth uh, protection of techless which is the the bubble of the five award uh, apparently at in, in his local seen the TO ruled it as being a pulse. So he costs it, all the units get it, and then they can move out of the aura and still have okay. it. While mm -hmm. we ruled it as being an aura. So you're at the point of determining if you have a ward, you have to be within that aura. I think that's how it plays get plays most of the events for this specific one. Uh, but that's for example something that you know uh, was very different for that player and a, a tough one to find out mid turn when all his units are out. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, so which know, is rough with a, such a large international audience. There's going to be people going to play games different and not realize it's being played different in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that that gave some fun arguments because uh, a player, you know, a player will be convinced they're right because they've been playing it like this and their TO has been ruling it like this for a long time, and then we come in. Like their opponent comes in and then we come in saying they're wrong. Uh, after, you know, they've, they've traveled a long way. It was an expensive ticket. They're there and then, you know, they might lose that game because of that specific situation. So that's rough. Yeah, no, it definitely is. It's not something you want to have happen, but it obviously does no. happen. Yes, yeah. you can't avoid There's it. nothing you can do about it because you don't realize. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, for example, one of the reasons we started the AOS FAQ website because uh, now in the US, uh, in Italy, in the Netherlands, in Belgium, and like, I think in Denmark as well, and some other communities, they are, are all using our FAQ 
which means that you know we're one step closer to having everyone play it the same way. And I'm not saying the way we play it is always the right way, but if we make sure everyone plays it the same way, at least we won't have that issue. Um, uh, and then now with GW being having the battle scrolls and being a little bit more active in um, adjusting armies, I think um, yeah we're gonna see a lot a, be a better balanced game in, in yeah, the long run. Yeah. Yeah, because I know there was a little bit of contention when that first came out, and people were like, "Oh, what's going on here? They're trying to force us to play this way." But yeah, it's all sure. voluntary. Like, if you want to come yeah. to Worlds, like this is what we expect. But if you don't want to come to Worlds, just play it however you want to play. Yeah, like it's not like I'm shoving it down every, anyone's throat to use the FAQ. But I get a lot of questions like, "How are you going to rule this?" Gareth gets a lot of questions. Madigan, and together we, you know, and a couple of others, uh, Colonel Cabbage, of course, from the UK, uh, and then together we said, "Like, hey, let's just." put all these questions into one website. And then if anyone asks us, hey, how would you rule it? We can just say, well, if you want to know how I rule my stuff, it's here. And if you don't want to know, fine, don't go there. Yeah. Don't use it. Yeah. That's all fine. Like play your game, do your thing, live your life. And then any other TO from any other community can be like, well, I don't know how that, those rules interact whatsoever, but there's this group think tank that have created a, a solution for me. Well, I'll just go there instead then rather than yeah, trying to come if up you with want a solution. To. Yeah, because it also leans into people being biased. You, everyone has a slight bias no matter what. Yep. And if you've got two players sort of fighting over the ruling of one and they no one can figure out how it should be, well, then you've got this outside source that was already created before this interaction occurred on your table. We can just go read that and it solves the issue for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And, and we've also added sections that just explain how to read certain rules. So one of the questions we get a lot is, is this a word? Or not, you know, about certain rules. So we we dedicated a portion of the website, which I have to credit Madigan for because she wrote it, that just explains if it says this, it's the word. If it doesn't say that, you know, look for these words, look for the rule doing this or that, and then you can determine it's a word, uh, which I hope will also help uh, educate players on how to read certain rules so that in the end, you know, the AOS FAQ, uh, you know, in a perfect world, it's not needed. Uh, I don't think we'll ever reach that no. world. But, uh, <laughs> Nothing's ever airtight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Watertight. Exactly. So, uh, but like, we also try to educate people, not just say yes or no. We try to explain why. That's fair enough. Yeah, because I've noticed I've I've read a few of those rules and it's like, oh, that makes sense. Now I can sort of work at it and and really apply how these rules are supposed to work to my game. When creating lists from new books, it's like certain things don't really read properly, but when you apply it. Through other books that you don't maybe not don't mm -hmm. even own, you can then work out how it should be played, and you're not playing it the wrong way and waiting for like an FAQ or maybe an FAQ doesn't come out. Well, then you don't know how you're supposed to play it. Yeah, but that's sort of it's hit and miss sometimes. Sometimes a, a rule seems clear for, for example, maybe the rules team, and then but it might not be clear for some of the people playing at their kitchen table, and then it doesn't get put into the FAQ, and so they have no idea what's going on or how to play something. So, which is totally fair because like some people just play a game once a month uh, and like we, nobody expects them to like deeply <laughs> like know the deep intricate rules of every yep. army to so that's fair yeah no that, that that's the biggest thing i think is yeah it's, it's right for the certain people and then doesn't matter to everyone else yeah exactly well, I put out a, uh, a question on Twitter because I know some of these questions are going to last quite a while because they're quite in-depth. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> I saw. And I know you had a few reads over them. So I'll go with yeah. a nice easy one to start us off. What is the pun pun song and why does pun pun have – or is it pub pun? 
Yeah, it's fun. I don't know what's yeah, going on. I think on they here. made a typo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what is it? Yeah. So what happened is uh, Rob visited our. No, no. At first, Rob was doing uh, event coverage, as in uh, you know the Monday show where he covers events yes. and in the topic. And then we use PunPun as a website. We don't use BCP. We we created our own little thing when um, when we started organizing. And then he was like, "This this is a ridiculous name. Like it literally doesn't mean anything. Like it's not even a Dutch word. It's just okay. it's nothing." <laughs> so. Um, what what happened was every time we had an event, I send it in and I, I like would add a text like I like I'm just sending it in because I now you're gonna have to say pun pun again because he hated <laughs> the word. Um, so and then at one point he had to he was covering our events and we had to use pun pun for worlds last year because we couldn't get BCP to work um, out of our like the organization's fault, not BCP. Um, so it kind of grew into a thing where, like, a, maybe a little bit of a meme where he had to, you know, say the word, and then all of a sudden he started like singing about it on one of the shows, uh, okay. doing the doing the pun pun song. So uh, gradually we started like adding lines to the pun pun song, and now it's a whole <laughs> thing. Uh, with, That's so, so just, good there. Yeah, yeah. I put the lyrics in the comment underneath because I'm not going to sing them here. But I'll uh, I'll let Rob <laughs> and Dan do the singing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun like it's uh it's those like small things that like um make make an event from being good to being great like the you know the laughs you have with all the people and about like dumb shit like this yeah so. everything's about the people you meet along the way what is it yeah. five five new friends not five games yeah five not five games, whatever it is yeah, yeah yeah that's it not five oh <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I uh, I had I had uh, I got Noah. Noah wanted to trade shirts with me, so uh, I he wrote it on my Team America shirt as well. So, <laughs> that's so, cool. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, another easy one for you. How do worlds affect your opinion on twists and turns? Uh, as a like as a TO, I loved it. Like walking around and having a player like completely table their opponent and still lose. You know, it's it, it's entertaining to see. Uh, I don't understand the pick to play it, but it's entertaining to see for me. So uh, I, it still doesn't belong in a competitive event, but uh, yeah, I think as a spectator, it's it brings some excitement. So yeah, makes games very interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, now we get into the nitty gritty ones. Uh, so we've got Stuart the Iron Gutsman. Uh, he wants to know what's your idea about an opinion about introducing bands. Say you have nine armies and you ban one army off. How do you yeah. feel about doing that for next year's? I, I saw him and Mick uh, talk about it a little bit because I asked him to elaborate on the question so I can answer it properly. Uh, I think it's a very cool a tactical thing to add. The only thing I want to em emphasize is well, two things, really. One, some of the countries might not have the financial capabilities to actually bring all these extra armies, like even own the extra armies, but... Also, let's say Australia has to bring two extra armies logistically. That's, that's a nightmare. Very hard. Yeah. Um, so even though I think it's uh, technically it would be a great addition, I don't think it will be practically uh, possible to implement that or get support for that. But I think it would be cool, like having um, the op opportunity, like if you win a roll-off and you're, you can be like, okay, uh, we're banning this army and then we're putting this defender down. So now you don't have... Uh, two good matchups against us, only a good and a bad one, for example, could lead to very interesting pairings. But it will also mean that you will go back to age of pairings again, which we got a lot of complaints about last year. Uh, and it's also feel bad. Let's say 
uh, the team asked you to learn to play Gits, but also asked you to learn to play KO. Gits is your main army. You practice like 60 games with them, and then every round they ban Gits, and you have to play like your secondary army entire tournament. It might not also be. Uh, well, a, a it great could experience. be where every single player has to learn that secondary army because it could yes. be your army that gets banned. So yeah. you're now going to learn two armies. Well, then it becomes outside of age of pairings, you've also be like age of learning how to play another army. Like yeah, you're not and switch on one like thing. between rounds, which yes. is and and you have to fill out yeah. a pairing matrix for mm -hmm. that army. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. might let's say Gits is your extra army. You've been playing Gits for a while. Uh, I have never played Gits before, so you might think uh, you might think a matchup, a certain matchup is green for you because you know the opposing army so well and you've played against that opposing army so many times with your list that even though it's not a great matchup, you know exactly what to do. So it's, a, so it's an okay matchup for you. But then I get the army because my original army was banned. I have no clue because I only, I, I played five, four, five, six games with the army quickly just to learn it. I, I'm just going to go down. Yeah. Uh, I think so it, I, it works well for games where I think where Stuart's pulled it from is esports games where you have the pick and ban system where there's yeah. nowhere near as much intricacy with your opponent's army or hero or champion or whatever he's based off of. They've only got 10 to 30 different things. You haven't got a full army to come up against. And plus, there's a massive difference between physical and digital miniatures yes. or heroes and stuff. Like, There's no financial burden on someone losing an, a digital hero, but there is on losing an army. Yeah, and also... Um... Do we want to ask teams to bring an army from someone who, which is going to be played by different people? So do you want to even want to have people play with your models? You might have to bring your well-painted Gits army or your well-painted whatever army, and you don't want to bring it, but you're the only one in your team that owns that. Yeah. And that's your, like your display army. Well, then now people are playing with army that you spent all this time and effort on. And then what happens if something breaks or whatever else? Like it just, I think it becomes a nightmare, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. I uh, this year I um, I matched some of the teams that brought uh, a Bellicor or an Archeon or some of the terrain pieces and just said, hey, I have this this stuff at home. If you want, I'll just throw them in a box and bring it. So, for example, Sweden borrowed my Archeon because imagine having to fly with Archeon. Yeah. How did everyone else sort of receive to that? Uh, yeah, great. Stuart, for example, borrowed my um, his summoning pool was mine from his corn, so he borrowed like some bloodletters, flesh hounds, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and I also brought an extra bloodthirster in case he needed it, because you know having to bring that on the fly without you know knowing if you're actually going to need it, it's a lot of a lot of effort. So uh, people were yes. very thankful, and like you know, it makes I think it eases my mind as well, knowing um, you know there's not an Archeon going on a flight. And then having a player come up to me in the morning is like, look, my Archeon's completely shattered. Can I play with this base? Yeah, uh, yeah. It feels bad for everyone. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially yeah. for the Archeon player, though, mostly. But uh, yes. because yeah. he has to bring <laughs> yeah. a broken model back. Yeah. And then we've got the famous champion himself, Rune. Uh, <laughs> he's asked, what's your opinion on the Swiss pairing system? Uh, and if you think it would be an op uh, optimal alternative for the game, and then do you also mind explaining what the Swiss pairing system is before you answer your question? Yeah, exactly. Uh, for for now, for people who don't know, we for this year we had 24 nations. So um, the first round you get randomly paired against someone, and then based on your results you get paired against someone else. So let's say you cap a team with 120 points, and uh, Denmark also caps a team with 120 points. Um, you're very likely to play each other the next round because you've done equally well. 
Um, well, the, I I think that's a fine system on its own, like a good basic system to have. I think you'd, as a world, you might want to grow to uh, a system like you have in the World Cup, for for example, football or whatever, where if you have like 32 teams, you could go into a group stage. I was just uh, about to go, ask you that question. <laughs> yeah, and then go on from there. Uh, yeah, which a, I think a pool would be stage, great. I think they call it. Pool or group stage, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The only problem is um, I've tried to, I've worked that out for 24 teams as well, made some groups of, uh, made eight groups of four, uh, or sorry, six groups of four. And uh, But what happened, because we're so little teams, you're, you end up playing the same teams twice, uh, almost guaranteed. Um, in some of the matchups, and you have to seed the groups, so that's hard to do because we've only had one actual AOS Worlds. So what happens if, if normally when you make groups, like for example, let's say put FIFA, we would do the the football cup, World Cup. They know from they have a ranking, like a ranking, and then they, they can seed the teams. So let's say a group will never have four of the best teams in one group probably it will be seeded or for Champions League or whatever. We have so little data for AOS Worlds that it's hard to uh, see teams into the correct groups or make sure they don't all end up in the same group. Um, because you could say, let's put the newcomers you know, as bottom teams, but then Canada joined this year. I don't think anyone will say Canada is a, is a bottom team. So it will still create an uneven playing field. But I, like I said, I think if we grow bigger, we can definitely do a group or pool phase before we uh, go into uh, different rounds. And I also want to avoid knockouts as long as we can because uh, people are paying a lot of money to come. And that means, let's say the first three games are group games. And then after that, you're done as a team. That, that's not that's not great. Mm-hmm. Do you think we could do a seeded setup next year? Seems means we now have two things to work off of or do you think it's still too little data? That the, we may have good data, good enough data to make a good estimate. It won't be good, but it will be good enough. Like it will approach. Uh, we can try our best. It depends on how many teams we get. I think because um, let's say next year we get four extra teams, we might be able to do some groups, or maybe we can do seeds. But if for some reason some teams drop off, um, or yeah, it's hard to say. I would like to do it though. I would like to do it. But uh, so if if we can, I'll try. And I suppose relating to sports, like in sports, pretty much the teams are guaranteed going because they've got yes. outside sources for finances or they've made to go because it's a commitment that they've signed for their team. Whereas for us, it's all voluntary. Your team doesn't have to go. You don't have to go unless like there's obviously the commitment that you've already made to buy the tickets or whatever else. But ultimately, if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. There's no, you're not signed anything. So you, people can back out and everything else. Yes. And the ticket deadline is halfway through March. Uh, which means halfway through March, I'll know how many teams I actually have, Uh, which means I have two months to create an entire pairing process for all the teams to learn it, you know, so it's, it's, it's not easy. And what also is the case is for, let's say, if we go back to the World Cup, they know they'll have 32 teams. It won't suddenly be 34 or 36 or 28. So um, that's also hard for us because we have no idea. I'm expecting four new teams next year because I hope Malta can come back. I think Portugal are forming a team, uh, Israel, and then those three, and then uh, which means that we're uneven. So the UN would also be joining. Um, so that would be fantastic. And then that might be a, a, a way to do seeded. But even with seeded, you're going to get a little bit of random stuff going on so it will never be perfect until maybe we're 
let's say four years down the road. When you have more cemented, but even then you probably still have more new teams coming. Like I'm sure the Philippines and all these other countries that are just starting to get scenes yeah, going yeah. that are still viewing the games that are interested in creating scenes and teams to go. How did, yeah, how did the, sure. the, the, was it three new teams this year? How did, how did the new teams find the system and the setup and everything like that? Um, I, we, yeah, we had Malta, uh, unfortunately couldn't come. They have very small community. And, uh, I think a couple of them were, uh, having to, um, finish their uh, education this year. Um, so exams, etc., which means that a couple players dropped off and then, yeah, it immediately becomes very hard for them to find eight players to go. So, which meant we went back to 21, which also meant the UN team then automatically drops because we're uneven. Uh, and then we had four new teams this year, uh, Canada, Greece, Serbia, and Northern Ireland. Um, and I think uh, they had a fantastic experience. I think uh, that the Serbian team were a little disappointed because they came in last. Uh, I had a talk with Marco this morning. He actually decided to step down because they, they he, he feels he failed the team. Uh, but I think they had a fantastic experience as a team. And I also told Marco, look, one team has to come in last. Uh, yeah, you were, yeah. and, and if you had one, one, one and a half more games, you'd already be four spots higher because everything was so close. So stop beating yourself down. Uh, I think the four teams, they had the same as some of the teams had last year. Like, oh, okay, we need maybe a little bit more prep than we already put in because, you know, this is different. This is a different game, uh, which a lot of teams found out last year as well. So, for example, Spain, um, Italy. Uh, and some of the other teams as well, you could just see they were much better prepared than last year, which is great to see. Uh, but then the newcomers, you know, they're just a step behind on knowing what it, what is expected or what is needed. Uh, but I think event-wise, I think they had a great time uh, as, as with the teams and, and it's a great experience to have as a player. And it's great to hear that new teams are wanting to sign up as well. So yeah. you're sort of expecting 28 teams next year? Yeah, I hope so. Yes. So, um, yeah, that would be great. And then, you know, you do, we don't know what's going to happen with uh, with the Russia-Ukraine situation. Obviously, it's mm -hmm. delicate. So, um, because we had a lot of Russian players at the singles, we were like, yeah, you know, we, we didn't want to um, play in the team's event. Like, maybe it's not a good idea to sign up as a team. Uh, so we played in the singles event, but like they had a big FOMO because, you know, mo most of them don't live in Russia. So um, they have no influence on what's going on. So they were just like, shit, we also want to play, you know, we just want to yeah. play. Uh, Even if they do live in Russia, they have no influence on what's happening anyway. Oh, no, like, for sure. For yeah. sure. <laughs> they probably wouldn't even be able to get here. So uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate, so, uh, but that that's the yes. current situation we're in. Yeah, exactly. Like we didn't, we didn't ban them as a team. Uh, we didn't have to because they didn't sign up. Uh, but like, yeah, it's it's hard to see people that just want to play not be able to play because of certain reasons. Mm -hmm. And then the UN team is a team that's created when you have uneven numbers. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's all we always create the team. So we always okay. uh, a captain is always assigned, and he will create a team because, like, until halfway through March, they're considered to just be in the event, and then. When all the tickets are, have, have come in, we know if they're actually going to be playing or not. Um, so it's it's it always gets formed, but it won't always be able to compete, unfortunately. Um, so that's kind of how it works. So it's, it's like the ringer, but different, because they know well in advance. There's a hard ringer as well, because you don't want to practice too much, because 
you're not sure if you're going or not, but then if you don't practice enough, I feel like you'll be down there at the bottom because you're a group of eight generally random people that don't know each other a whole lot outside of yep. the team being formed. And you need a lot of practice. So it's like a double-edged sword for that team, unfortunately. But I mean, it is what it is. And people volunteering for that position obviously know what they're up for. Yeah, exactly. And I think if, like, you, like you're saying, I think if you sign up for the UN team, I think you're just going to, you just want to go there, have a taste of Defy, play some great Warhammer, and I don't think you're you're expecting a podium at all. So, um, if you do see a yeah. podium for the UN team, <laughs> that'll be yeah, amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, like then some of the teams need to scratch behind there. Like the UN team also has a lot of players in there that you know maybe j- just not made their own team, so uh, they got selected for the UN team, which means that if they do well, that will be a great uh, you know big uh, yeah. That will be fun. And then, so you, you're involved with the actual Worlds committee as well, outside of being the TO for Worlds? Yeah, officially, I'm the rules lead, uh, which is a council position. Uh, we used to have a rules lead and a head ref, but they made that one position. Um, and last year, last year, I applied to be the rules lead, not, not head ref. Because I just, you know, I was just, I just arrived at the uh, AOS Worlds, and there was already a head ref, but they merged the roles into one, and then because I was the only person who applied for rules lead, I suddenly it was both. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, so so I'm in the council as well, together with Jeremy uh, Fischier, who is the commissioner. Who I also uh, spoke to. <laughs> who, I, who you also spoke to? Yeah, yeah. small world. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. then um, we have uh, Benedict, who is our media lead, and Adam was the uh, captain's lead. And then every every year the organizing captain. So this year it was Jeffrey. It will also go into the council because he will be uh, involved, of course, in the organizing uh, of the event. So next 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 year we will have probably a different council again because every year people can um, like sign up for the council and then we vote on who gets in. Uh, so that's how the council was formed for this year. And then next year, I think I'm I will remain rules lead, but you know we might get a new commissioner or a new media lead or whoever signs up or not. So you're you're deciding to stay on then, and then you're also putting in another pitch to have worlds at the, at the same location. Everything else going on there is that what your main idea is? Uh, if if we do the bid, um, I will do it for. It will just be literally be a copy paste with some improvements okay. here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, um, and then, but I will. I think I will. I well, I can't really say for sure, but I don't know who else would run from for rules lead uh so that's yeah, why okay. i'm kind of assuming i'll be in the same position next year um but if if someone else organizes it i'll still you know be rules lead help them out uh, as best as i can because it's in my best interest as well and then is it sort of a, a role that you need to be available at the tournament as well or is it, is it all mainly you can do remote well, for me, because it's rules lead and head ref roll into one, I, I'm not even sure why it's called rules lead because it's literally the same, like, it's literally the same thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I just call it head ref um, because I don't do any council work at all. I just really focus on, you know, the, the, the terrain maps, the FAQ um, and, and rulings in general. Um, and I don't do any of the administrative stuff uh the council does or the social media stuff etc so uh it, officially it's a council position but i don't do a lot of like boardroom style things at all okay what i was trying to get at there is well will, will, will we be seeing you then if you don't happen to get the bid well we'll see you at the next worlds then as someone coming along to help out and stuff like that 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'll just, if it's up to me, I'll, uh, I'll remain head ref. The only thing that would maybe deter me is if an organization wins a bid and I feel, um, I don't think it will happen, but the only reason I would see myself step down is if I, if an organization wins a bid that I feel might not be adequate or might not be able to deliver the quality that will make me run a good event, then I, you know, that would be, I don't see it happening because I don't think anyone would ever do a bid if they're not like fully <laughs> confident, they can like when deliver they can't anything. compete with you, <laughs> they've got to be yeah, able to compete well, with you as a thing. <laughs> well, the, the, well, in the end, like you can, you can choose to, for example, not include lunch and have much cheaper tickets, but still have a great venue, et cetera. Like if I go there, we, we will probably still have the same FAQ. We will have the terrain maps, like all of that will be fixed. I, I can fix that for, for any, any TO that's going to host this. The most important part is uh, the terrain, ample space, and um, you know, are you going to do lunch or not? And how accessible is the food, et cetera. Uh, I think if you have those things um, you know, taken care of, then I think you'll be fine because um, I can just copy paste a lot of it from this year uh, in regards to the roof and, and improve. So I think uh, the TO doesn't have to like reinvent the wheel at all. Which is the, the hardest part is getting it going and getting it started and getting all that behind work, which you've pretty much done for the last two world so i think all that hard work's already done yeah yeah not not by me alone just to make sure i i joined last year march <laughs> so uh, a, lot, a lot of groundwork was already done when i joined we just expanded yeah. it yeah okay fair enough i mean we did hear of all the tales of all the dilemmas from last year's worlds that you had to try and cover in our last tr- chat <laughs> yeah 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 correct yeah well also all, all those things uh, mostly out of uh, the ref's control uh, for example, you know what happened with the with the best coast pairings, and um, it was just a lack of prep, which came from uh, a chaotic lead up, uh, you know, which wasn't really anyone's fault. It's just um, problematic. Um, well, we did have COVID for three years. <laughs> also, that, yeah, well, that didn't that didn't help, help either. No, no, for sure. Yeah. So, no, that's true. That uh, that helps didn't help anyone. Uh, yeah, so next year I'm going to do a bit and, and try to copy paste what we did now. And if people say, you know, we want to try something else, that's totally fine. I'll just help whatever, whoever wins the bid, uh, uh, run the best event possible again. Uh, that's basically bottom line. Okay, fair enough. Awesome. Well, is there any closing remarks or closing statements you want to leave all the listeners with them? Uh, well, obviously, like I feel like you know, I, I'm I go on a lot of talks and podcasts now and i got a lot of messages on twitter you're but, famous mate yeah but it's just it's not me doing all the work it's like the entire ref team the alliance open team the council uh, they've all been fantastic in in supporting what what we want to do and what we uh, in the event we want to like put down so uh, i just want to like thank everyone for their help and uh, remind everyone that uh, even though um, i i turned out to somehow become the face of the organization <laughs> i guess uh it's 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 a lot of people putting in passion time blood sweat tears and work um so yeah don't forget don't forget that yeah like anything it's not just the one dude's face there's everyone yeah. behind them is what makes it a viable product yeah exactly so um yeah so basically that and uh, just i i hope you get uh, some cool bits because uh, even if i don't win it of course i do want to go to like a cool location so um yeah that's uh, if 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 you're a country that wants to do a bid but you're unsure you know feel free to reach out i can help 
uh, you know, give you the tools you need to to put down a bid, and uh, probably I, we can probably help you with whatever you think you can't manage, as long as you can find a decent location. I think we can sort the rest out. That's a sign there of a healthy tournament upper end and, and like situation as well. You being able to offer in your services to people that sort of want to try and put a bid against you. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But like I won the bid already now. And for us, it's, it will be easy to copy paste. But um, let's say, I don't know, uh, uh, Norway wants to do a bid. You know, I'd love to go to Norway. So it's it's yep. also in my best interest. <laughs> it's a win-win. Like, yeah, it's a win-win. So uh, and and if they, if they have a great venue, we can all go there and you know have a fantastic time in Norway. That's fine with me. Uh, all I want is to have a good event. And if it's with me, that's great uh, because it's convenient for me because I can just drive for thirty minutes and I'm at the venue. And if it's somewhere else, you know, I'll just uh, try to get as most out of the uh, time I have there as well. So. Mm-hmm. And then outside of organizing and all this sort of planning, what is next for you in terms of are you going to any tournaments? Are you running any other tournaments? What's happening with you? Yeah, I um, we, I created this new singles format here locally in the Netherlands where um, I invite um, the 20, well, 18 technically. So what happens when you, t- when you start TOing is uh, you find out you're not playing at events anymore. <laughs> because you're hosting them all, especially in a small community like ours, like the, our local community, we have like two or three TOs. So, you know, you don't get to play a lot yourself. And then because you're putting in so much time in organizing, uh, you can't visit any like uh, international events in general because, you know, you already take a lot of time out of your family. Um, I, like I have a wife and daughter. I, if I go to events every weekend, like some people do, like I, I, I won't have a wife and daughter. Well, I will still have a daughter, but not a wife. Yeah. Uh, so you like you have to manage your time, and uh, so I, I, me and Jeffrey were in the same situation where we host events together, and and we both found out like, hmm, we want to play more because you know that's why we started this hobby to like for me three years ago, and for him as well, something like that. So. Um, we uh, created this format where it's like an invitational. So every other month, I invite uh, 18 of the best players in our community. And together with Jeff and me, we have played a 20-man two-dayer uh, at, a, at, my, uh, at my venue. And then um, it might sound like a small event, but because it's the 20 best players in the country, it's actually pretty brutal. Uh, because you don't have round one and two where you're maybe playing local guy, num- random guy number one and two. You're actually already playing maybe ne- last year's Masters and and uh, the guy who won Masters before that, round one and two. So uh, we're starting that off ne- next month. So I already have an event next month. And then in September, we have a five... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then in September, we have a five-man <laughs> team tournament uh, in the same venue as Worlds, which is five-man teams. I think we have like four or five slots left if any team wants to come. Uh, we have a couple of Worlds teams coming again and um um so yeah that's that's the next like big thing on the on the radar it will be like um 18 or 16 teams of five and then we have an eight, a, a 40k event also 18 teams of five uh, or four i don't know uh, next to it uh, in the same room as where we had worlds so uh, that's uh, september 9 and 10th exciting times ahead then for you yeah, Very yeah, yeah. Times as well. Yes, yeah. Right <laughs> back into it. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we have a forty k part. We have some stuff coming up, like a super major in November, like two hundred fifty people, and then uh, yeah, it goes goes on from there. And then in in about a month, I think we'll know, maybe a little bit more. We'll know who's going to host Worlds. So uh, yeah. <laughs> even <exciting>. more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Even more. Yeah, it doesn't stop. Yeah. yeah. 
I like it. Yeah. It's, I love it. I, I love doing the work. It's, uh, you know, it's a passion of mine and uh, it's starting to be more rewarding as well. Not because of like going online or whatever, but um, when you start out as a TO and, you know, not everything will go right. You know, you'll have mats and some terrain, but it might not be good. Uh, you have a lot of learning to do. And then uh, the, the warm community is great, but it's not always the most thankful community to do stuff for so that can sometimes get you down a bit but like lately it's been it's been great and uh, everyone here in the netherlands uh, see what time and commitment tos put into you know organizing events so they can play so uh, that's improved a lot so that's yeah it's great well as a viewer and a spectator thank you for running worlds and thank you for <laughs> running another successful event congratulations on that thank uh, you it seemed to run very smoothly from our spectator side <laughs> we all yeah yeah it. Yeah, that's great to hear. Like uh, in the end, um, we want to make sure it's accessible for everyone, not just for the people playing there. So it was great to hear that um, you know you could uh, you were able to follow along. Yeah, no, it was great. It was. I think I was going to bed at about one thirty in the morning, which still wasn't quite <laughs> end of the game. Um, I think there's still an hour or two hours left or something like that. And I'm like, oh, well, I can't do three thirty three nights in a row so i had to limit it to about 1 a.m <laughs> yeah 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 no that's understood did you, you did see the uh the aussie game turn around yes i, I did i made sure to watch that one yeah 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 because yeah. uh, last year i think you 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 watched it with a group we were on yeah we were on stream again as well yeah we watched it at so the shop that we watched it at the first time for last year is actually scott's shop who played in the australian team this oh, year oh really yeah yeah uh, so we were able to watch that so that was great to watch him and see him on stream yeah, that's yeah. that's. And then he he made the, I think a few people spoke on it. He made like a a big bold play with his Zench list, and everyone's like, "Oh, for, great first turn from Australia!" So it's always good to see sort of Scott getting up there and getting some recognition for some great players. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like uh, I think um, you guys, you know, you, you can always. Your problem obviously is will you be able to bring the best players or the best players that you know can afford to go. Uh, but even the best players that can afford to go are still great players. So um, yes, yeah. One day, well, I think uh, we got eleventh both times. <laughs> yeah, what below? But it was a bigger event now, so yes, you did yep. a better job. Uh, and somehow Australia always has the tough, tough pairing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so. they started off nice and tough with the Ashes match, so that's always yeah, a true. wonderful start. True, yeah. yeah. They did better than last year, though. Yes, we, we, you did improve a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's tough. Like, some of them maybe just got out of a plane, like, the day before. Yeah. Massive jet lag. And then they have to play a team yeah. who's, like, one hour difference uh, jet, mm, jet yeah. lag. And, you know, Even outside of just the jet lag, playing on, like, nearly a 12-hour time difference. So you've been yeah. playing at 2 a.m. compared to your normal day games. It's just exactly. rough there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think Stuart actually Stuart actually had to drop out of the singles to play the. He ashes. did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I do was, wonder if he was four and zero. Oh, if you would have done. He the was, I think he was three and one. I think he was three and one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I know he lost yeah. his last game oh, yes, to yeah. Ronya, and that's when he decided to drop. But oh, I, yeah. I wonder. If, I wonder if if he went four zero, oh, if they had to find yeah, the third yeah. player. <laughs> that's always the struggle. He's like, oh, I could win this whole tournament, but the Ashes, maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like you, you can't. We will never know. Try and win it. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll find out next year. <laughs> Hopefully for him, yeah, because that means he'll be 4-0, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Awesome, Tom. Well, thanks again for making time to coming on and speak to me all about Worlds. Uh, it was a great insight, and hopefully people that are listening to the episode sort of learn some big things from behind the scenes and some stories and that have come out of Worlds. 
yeah thank you so much uh, for interviewing me again and uh like i said the last time as well like your content is great i uh, i drive to work uh, every day for like 45 minutes back and uh, to work and then from work so it's a great way to like put up a podcast and listen to it and uh oh, perfect you, you, you have to uh, i can't imagine the time you have to put into uh you know to make this content regularly so thank you so much for That's on behalf right, of me welcome. and probably the community <laughs> yeah <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you very much as well. Yeah, man. No worries. Cheers. All right. Well, have, enjoy the rest of your day because I think it's early morning for you still. Yeah, eleven in the morning. So yeah, uh, it's yeah, a, yeah it's seven weather. p.m. for us. Yeah, <laughs> it's all nice and dark now for us. We're in winter. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Like. Awesome. Well, thanks very much again, Tom. Enjoy the rest of your day. Same to you, man. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Unidentified Wargamer. You can find links for the guests located in the description below. You can find the show on Twitter at U underscore Wargamer and I will see you next week.